Hello and welcome to The Week at Work. My name is Michelle Byrne and I'm here with my co-host Connor McCabe and as always we'll be having a look at the, the, the week of the news and stories of the week from a left perspective. The Week at Work is part of Left Block, a political education and media project and you can find more information or support us on patreon.com slash leftblock. So for those of you who are listening to us last week, we have we, we finished on a very strong political statement, perhaps, of fuck Ibeck. Um, and um, Ibeck just keeps on giving. Uh, it's given us another story this week, uh, maybe to continue on that trend. Um, Connor, would you like to fill us in a bit? Yeah, I mean, like we were kind of half joking last week about having a kind of fuck Ibeck section in this kind of show from now on. But my God, they have, they've stepped up. Um, all joking aside, it's it's actually quite horrific what they actually called for. And he said that the victims of the domestic abuse um, who need leave from their work um, should be required to give proof of their abuse um, and to a legal standard as well. So like they're very kind of uh, clear in this to a kind of court legal um, adversarial uh, standard to their employer. It was so shocking that even Leo kind of, Leo Evaradkar had to come out and say he just rejected it. That's how bad it was. Leo actually said this is a step too far, you know, you know, in, fair, you know in, in, in fairness to him, like, you know, he did say it, you know. Yeah. And like, obviously, this is coming off the back of a proposal of. Uh, five page domestic, uh, five page day, five days pay uh, for domestic uh, violence leave. Um, mm. But like, as anyone knows around this, it's incredibly difficult to even, to, like to prove. Like, and as like other people, I think uh, Louise O'Reilly from Sinn Féin said, well, how would you like them to prove it? Is, the, is it a black eye? And how do you prove like a course of control? Absolutely horrendous stuff from Ibeck. But actually since then, They've tried to roll back after they saw the backlash. Right. Leo Radker saying, like, literally, that proof is unworkable. Now he maybe doesn't say it in a in a why it would be on. You know, he kind of just leaves it as that. But like as you say, if you're if Leo Radker's coming out against you um, on your your position on this, you're you're in a bad space. So what I Becker now is saying is, oh no, we were just asking a clarifying question on how we would meet our statutory obligations. And actually we were just asking a clarifying question of the government on how they would like us to meet those statutory obligations. So they've absolutely, like absolutely ridiculous that like what, what and like luckily uh, I'm delighted to see like a number of other organizations, a couple of unions have come out quite strongly on this as well. And obviously women's aid. So like women's aid have been saying like, it's completely mean spirited, distrustful and defensive obviously um, coming from that kind of angle and everyone has read it that way. So for Ibeck to be like, oh no, that's not what we meant. We're just, you know, asking questions. Uh, the implications that that, that kind of, uh, that statement had around, you know, what proof would uh, would be required uh, to, in order so that wouldn't, that leave wouldn't be abused or whatever. Like how many people do we know are actually going to walk up to their employer to try and get leave off for domestic violence? It's a d- difficult enough as it is without people assuming that that's something that people would just be banding around. But I know United have come out strong on this. They said that uh, Ibex's Ibex stance highlights a toxic culture of doubt, which is spot on, I think. Um, I know their equality officer, Taryn Trainer, has been um, very strong on that um, and kind of, you know, speaking out about that, which is great. And also SIP2. So um, Ethel Buckley of SIP2 said that like, she was absolutely, couldn't believe that uh, they would insinuate like potential abuse of, paid leave um so yeah it's good to see that the unions are coming out strong on this um in, in and, and Leo Radker 
the trade union ally apparently yeah. uh, uh, ironically but yeah look it just continues from our conversation last week of like why IBEC just and it's really interesting actually when I was re- researching for just to see if IBEC had come back in response to all of this news during the week I found an article from a couple of weeks ago which was the Irish Times basically uh talking about Danny McCoy your favorite person uh Connor of IBEC um saying that he was a card carrying social democrat crash leading up the leading up IBEC and what's this mean for IBEC and all of this like so I was having a bit of a laugh there and then we see some of some of this stuff coming out um I don't know if don't know if uh, Irish Times are trying to rehabilitate Danny McCoy of some sort like maybe ahead of his uh Ireland's future uh, performance um but yeah very bizarre stuff um so I had a look at the Sinn Féin alternative budget, the Labour alternative budget, Soft Dems alternative budget and the People for Profit alternative budgets. And it was one that I just kind of honed in on because it was obviously one that's been quite topical in the news this last year, but was around the redress scheme for defects. Mm. Um, and very interesting differences in budget allocations across these alternative budgets. So, for example, like obviously we've seen a lot of people front and centre on this Um and you know, even talks of the 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 meek campaigners launching their own political party and everything off the back of this. But I wonder, well, uh, what I hadn't actually seen what their direct comment was on the the budget proposals on this, or if they maybe had a look at it. But for example, Sinn Fein are proposing 140 million for the redress scheme, but then the jump between that and what Labour are proposing, Labour are proposing 500 million for construction defects to mm. address 20,000 households. Very interesting. And Soft Dems then is, I think, 100 million as well. Yeah, it's the lowest. Um, said that they would provide 100 um, million for redress. Um, and then I can't see the exact detail in PVPs um, on what how they would address the redress. Um, I have it on. here now. So the redress scheme. No, I, I can't see. Oh, yeah, here it is. Um, it's it's one hundred ninety-five. It's uh, well, it's it's one ninety-five for the market, but then there's three hundred million for building kind of defects. Yeah. In 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 general and for kind of social housing units, so it's four nine five million. Yeah, yeah, and the two of them are different things, and some of them are kind of wrapped up in similar language in in mm. some of the um, proposals, but there's a. Uh, really not a lot like there's a big difference between the proposals that are being put forward um very interesting like what kind of struck me was like all all four of them kind of talk about there's a need for for kind of more housing right so more kind of social housing and there's a and there's a continuity there um but the impression i get from it is we'll throw more money at this kind of problem it's almost like that's the issue is is kind of more is kind of lack of like funding that's a huge kind of issue but there are massive problems with the use of definitions of social and kind of affordable kind of housing what's being used for um like the like the definitions of social and like affordable housing have been set by the building industry and they've been from what i can see they've been taken on board uncritically by the uh, by the opposition kind of parties so um like in terms of the issues that are facing kind of that are kind of driving the the kind of uh, housing uh, crisis at the moment the the biggest one is the um is the institutional investors 
who have very, very deep kind of pockets. Um, Labour talk about putting a, a kind of 10%, you know, kind of levy on on the sale of um, of kind of apartments as a way of like reining in these kind of funds. That won't rein them in. They have access to international kind of money market funds, to international kind of funding. They can raise hundreds of billions. Like a 10% thing just isn't going to phase them if they can get access, like once they have access to kind of greater kind of funding. What you need is a ban on these uh, funds buying housing units in the first place, just an outright ban. Uh, you know, that is not here. And then, and, and like even on that issue, only one, as far as I can see, now Sinn Féin have a separate budget uh, document that was published kind of, you know, um, earlier. It's it's an owner brain. Uh, like delivering kind of affordable homes. I've gone through that. I haven't gone through it in massive detail, but from what I can see, there's no real sense of taking on the institutional investors who are really kind of driving the the the, the crisis here. Only party that does is surprisingly the uh, Sock Dems. Um, so the Sock Dems uh, talk about having a levy on the profits of the I reefs and the REITs and the ICAVs. Um, but importantly, they put in that they would they would remove tax exemptions and reliefs for REITs and other institutional investors and ensure that capital gains are taxed at 25%. Now for me, that is key because what's driving this is not access to funds, they've got that. Um, what they don't have access to anywhere else are the tax breaks that Ireland gives them. So if you tackle them, that will actually slow them down. And the SOC Dems seem to get it. It's like Keno Callahan, uh, you know, who's the main kind of author of this kind of section. And he gets it. And it's not there in the other three uh, budgets. It's just like build more housing. It's all headline stuff. There's no real sense of the way that the housing market in Ireland, in Dublin, in the cities. And it's now kind of, you know, as bad now, how that has changed since like 2013. How the how how these institutional investors they've moved in with the full support of the very of the kind of Finnegal kind of governments and and with kind of Finna Falls kind of backing. And they have reconstituted the Irish kind of housing market. And that's been done through the tax code and it's been done through law. So that's what needs to be tackled. Throwing more money at such kind of affordable housing, if the ones who are building it are the institutional kind of investors, is not going to solve problems. We've had that since, since kind of 2016. That was a bit of a rant. Yes, yeah, it's continuing to outsource and you kind of, you see it in um, Labour's um, proposal as well, pre-budget proposal, where, you know, they say tie, tie in um, the Cree kind of uh, fund, which basically assists people in building apartments in five cities across Ireland, so the, the main cities, um, where you know the, the idea behind that fund is you know to is to address the viability gap of like whether it's viable to build apartments um, in these areas um, to actually link it to cost rental apartments, but like That's you're just giving money to them to build. To make profit and then do you then further subsidize them to make a cost rental I, I, like just cost bizarre. rental a cost rental is another scam 
Yeah, it's re, re, re. It has, it has defined to be based, every time yeah. someone writes it. It's redefined. What does that even mean? It has to be based on. There's no point having a cost rental scheme. Which my understanding of it is that the rent is based on the cost of building the apartment. But that doesn't solve anything. The rent has to be linked to the income of the person who's renting mm. the apartment, and people before profit put a percentage on that which is a 25 percent of your a maximum of 25 percent of your net kind of income which would be at the very top of what kind of international kind of surveys say where rent should be there's surveys that go from it should be 18 percent to around kind of 25 percent of your net kind of income to have a socially stable kind of society uh, something that leo actually brought up earlier in this year when he was asked about housing, I only found this kind of during the week, where he said that um, that that it, it, that the housing crisis is is um, it is it's fracturing the uh, social contract, which which wasn't expecting from him. But he's right, you know, this, this is a bad issue. This is the second time now I've said something where I kind of agree with Leo kind of Radcar. This is a bad sign. He- this but is an like, example of them using our language in order for us to be like, oh, look, he's on side, you know. And you, it you is, know, it is, you know, it, it is. And and the cost rental, um, affordable housing, social housing, they have appropriated ed, 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 definitions of these words. The cost rental is, you can make it, they say here, like Labour say, but make a cost rental, a condition of that city's funding uh, that you mentioned. And like, you know, I, as you pointed out, that will make a blind bit of difference to anyone who is, um, you know, who is renting. Because once you get building kind of inflation in, that just pushes up then, you know, then prices. Rents have to be linked to income too. And I'm not sure that's really there in your terms kind of budgets, you know. And I think that's a problem. And um, like the kind of bounces off is that um, like if you look at like Katu, you know, who are certainly the most kind of prominent uh, group that's like campaigning for kind of renters' rights at the moment, you know, very hands-on, um, stopping kind of evictions mainly. Um, but like, as someone who's involved in that kind of, uh, you know, in that group, in that union, like what are the issues that are, that are coming up anyway? So like, you know, so what are you hearing on the ground, uh, basically in, in terms of like renters? Like it, it can be actually quite different um, depending on the area that you're living in. Um, so right. obviously like Dublin has a huge problem with REITs and like buy to let or buy to rent even. Um, and, um, you know, there's there's those kind of like localised issues that different branches are tackling. Like, if, for example, in Waterford, it's actually that half the city isn't covered by rent pressure zone. So like you can hike up the rents by like 20%, which we had a member who experienced that and it was completely legal. Um, you know, in other places it's different, like then in rural communities, again, even, even more different, it's, you know, there's obviously lots of vacant homes, there's lots of lots of that that problem as well. And I, I know you, you would have known that from your report um, that you did with the Clare PPN, some of that stuff has been highlighted. So but overall, what, what's been said is like public homes is what's needed. You know, that's what we're looking at as the solution. That, that's what the national campaign is um, looking at that. Um, but I think there's like, you know, Katu is such a 
dynamic uh, organization that like you can tackle those local issues and also the national issues as as well as part of like that union which is great and um, but like building that power from the ground up like you know we're hearing even uh for example i, I got a phone call yesterday from uh, a member of Kashi where they were being evicted by the council so the council was evicting them because the home that they grew up in um the, the mother had moved out and that person who's now in their 20s had been living in that house and because their name isn't on the lease the council's evicting them it's like they said here's homeless services number the council mm. so if our own state services aren't willing to protect the people their own residents um that they are but, but a big landlord essentially um then you know there's there's questions to be asked, answered there as well and about the provision of housing is it up to scratch you know are we evicting are, is the state evicting people into homelessness yes they are into private homeless shelters probably um where they're going to make money more money off the back of those people you know so it's, it's very it's it's interesting to see the connection um even from state level um how it all goes back into the money making around housing so on that point i mean like the main kind of catch kind of talks about kind of build market public housing have there been kind of discussions about who should build that housing like you know is it at the level of the of the of the main parties except for kind of people can for profit who seem to have not a big issue with let's say these kind of private kind of equity funds um approved housing bodies and another such private corporations uh building kind of public housing or is it like or like is there an argument around that this should be all like direct build like what's the like is there any kind of discussion that's going on or well alongside that campaign for public housing that national they've so they're cashew have an agm and they vote on the two national campaigns for the year and one of the number one one was build public homes the second one was to campaign against uh, those big private developments uh the wreaths and such so the two alongside each other makes sense um that it probably wouldn't be well like like what kind of strikes me is that like like when you talk about kind of social housing there are kind of REITs that are just building kind of social housing that all they do is kind of provide kind of social housing there's the buy to lets that are kind of private but has there been any kind of discussion around that subsection it's very niche but there is a but there is a a a a, a subsection there that's separate from approved housing bodies and I, I i'd have issues with approved housing bodies anyway but like Separate from them, there's this kind of subsection that are now starting to move into, into kind of building kind of social housing, as social housing, um, but charging um, capital kind of returns on that kind of level. Is it, you know, has there been a, any kind of discussion? Is there any kind of awareness of that even? Well, I think the fact that both of those conversations are happening alongside each other as the two national campaigns, I'm not involved directly in planning mm. planning those. So I don't know what the, the final details of that are, but we are seeing like, you know, the public, the campaign for public homes being teased out at like local level as well and what that looks like in locality as well as nationally. Um, and then there's also the campaign around the, the big REITs. So if you're if you're campaigning against big REITs and you're, you're obviously saying that some of those REITs Deliver, like are just churning out social homes for long-term leasing or to be sold back to the council and I'm assuming that's going to be to be captured mm. in that but again I wasn't in the I'm not in the planning process for that directly but that campaign is probably going to be launched in the next couple of months anyway and um, for us to have a look at too so we'll see we'll watch the space I guess yeah and like just it just going back to the it just to the main kind of parties and and their one 
like that would like that would kind of set up kind of alarm bells for me is that when when they're talking about social and like affordable housing and like cost rental, they're using they haven't put in their own kind of definitions of kind of what that means. Like um, as an aside, uh, the uh, SOC Dems talk about a kind of living wage, but they give a definition of what they mean by a kind of living wage. And, and they say that we do not agree with the government's stance that a living wage should be 60% of the median income. They say this doesn't make any sense. It should be based on cost of living. That's what it means. But they don't give that kind of clarity. They don't, like none of them do, in terms of social kind of affordable housing and also kind of cost rental. There are the exact same issues with that kind of, with the phraseology of social affordable and a cost rental as what's going on with a living wage, which the government and IBEC and, and like everyone and, and like what they want is to see it marked down as a percentage of some kind of median kind of income, household income, instead of saying, no, it, it should be based on the cost of living. I think that this is a worry for me in terms of the alternative kind of budgets and especially for kind of the Sinn Féin one, because of the three, the one person who is most likely, who all the short money is on for being kind of housing minister is like Owner Brin. You know, I mean, if you're at kind of 37% in the polls and have been for nearly two years, like Owner Brin's, you know, he's looking like he's the next kind of housing minister. There's not that clarity there. And that would kind of worry me, you know. Parties have 100% control over the drafting and composition of their policy papers. It's not in it. And look, we're too we're too used to that carry on from you know the government that we have. So like this goes, that, you know, this but, goes back to the old line that the shortcuts you take to get into power, they're the shortcuts you'll take to maintain power. So if you take any shortcuts or any kind of vibonite stuff to get into power, you'll use them to hang on to power. And this is a real worry for me. So when I see all these things is going. Like, I don't see an awareness of the structural change in the housing um, capitalist system in Ireland that has changed in the last kind of 10 years, fundamentally changed, down to the crash of, 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 kind of 2008. I don't see that, uh, an understanding of that. I see elements of it in the SOC demons, which I wasn't kind of expecting, but then again, like it makes more sense when you see that it's Keno Callahan who's who's in charge of that brief. Who you know he would be, he would be kind of very sharp on these things. He's counselor, like he's former counselor. Like he'd be very aware to it, it, it. Like all these things, he's just sharp anyway. You know, but like um, but yeah, I I was surprised at uh, um some of the stuff in the soft Dam's housing section as well. There's some good stuff in it, and like Keno Callahan strong. and Ono Brin, they do know their stuff. So it is disappointing to see both of them almost in the same sentence, lump social and affordable housing in the same breath. Social yeah. and affordable are completely different. Affordable is private housing. Mm. Social, and like, so to kind of say these are the same thing, we're lumping them in together in the same budget, it's just not the same thing. And like, and like when you look uh, at what, and as we've said before on this podcast, what does affordable mean? What does affordable actually mean? Um, and we've seen that in practice, these houses aren't affordable. Affordable no. to who? Who are they affordable to? Do you, like you're getting into this whole thing of like they're only affordable to couples who are on 
X amount of wage or whatever. Um, there's no, what's affordable for a single person on average wage. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. it's just not like, yeah, it, it, that whole dig into the affordable. So it is disappointing to see the likes of social, cost rental, affordable, all being used in the same sentence interchangeably as if there's not, and as you say, without definition because it really isn't giving us any clarity as to what that actually means and what that would look like if, for example, either of them were to be a housing minister. What does that look like? How would you implement that um, in, in that way? What, what are the figures that are going to be in place there? So I think that's something that definitely needs to be teased out a little bit. And as well, in a lot of the budgets I saw um, was the mention of HAP. And obviously, this is a controversial one at the housing assistance payment and the RAS, um, the previous kind of uh, payment that was around before then, still kind of um, around. Like, th there's this talk around, you know, increasing the HAP limits. And some of them say, uh, for example, Labour says it's an interim measure, but they don't actually provide a long term solution to that. Um, you know, an interim measure to what really, um, you know, uh, to build more public homes, maybe, or like, what does that really look like? The SOC Dems, um, they maybe don't mention it per se uh, in the same way, but the people for profit, they say to actually buy the HAP and RAS tenancies, which is good because it's addressing the root cause of the fact that these um, landlords are just pocketing uh public money um to profit and obviously then raising up rents off the back of it as well so it doesn't call it does cause um yeah and 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 Sinn Féin have a somewhat kind of similar uh policy on that that like you know if a hapt tenant is being threatened it, 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 like with kind of eviction that they can be compulsory kind of bought out uh yeah, by the council you know which is good policy yeah that's good and that's that would actually address the longer term problem mm. of the reliance on hap which is what you want to see um, so it's good to see, I think Sinn Féin, as I say, and people for profits start to say that and start thinking about, um, you know, compulsory purchase. There was uh, in the SOC Dems budget, uh, they do mention compulsory purchase, but it was for derelict houses, which is great. So mm. they're talking about setting aside a fund to compulsory purchase and renovate derelict houses. So like really committing to the state being involved in that, you know, cutting out the fact, all these excuses. But there is, like, a, disappointingly enough, there is, um, they mention, I think, um, the, which was it, the, let me find it now, too many pre-budgets in front of me. But that example, oh, sorry, the, that example of um, what the government have put out, that, that vacant homes, uh, that vacancy and dereliction tax, um, disappointingly enough, they've actually nearly put the same exemptions as the government in. Which, you know, on one hand, we're saying we're going to compulsory purchase and renovate derelict houses, but we're going to give a complete out on this vacant tax um, on, on vacancy and dereliction that looks exactly like the government. We kind of talked about it um, last week on the pod about the, the, the many ways that people can get out of actually being falling under that vacant home. So I remember I mentioned that uh, Jude Cherry had, from an ish agency had broken it down. Like, so for example, like, you know, yeah, that's self-reporting you know uh you can put it up for sale and then suddenly it's not vacant and how yeah. long is it up for sale you know there's so many ways like how do you prove that it's occupant for 30 days all of that kind of stuff so it is disappointing to see on one hand they're saying like here's a great let's put a let's put aside money to buy out derelict homes and re um renovate them but on the other hand they're saying well we're going to have a tax on vacancy that has absolutely no teeth um so you know it's a yeah like you know and and like and 
and like they've again it's a it's a it's a, it's a it's a political trick where you have in bold i'm just going to hear now um a vacant homes tax of 10% of the value of the property calculated on an annual basis sounds great it's like this is yes of course i mean that's what you need it's, it's not a like like Sinn Féin one is like i think kind of 500 euros a year or like 400 euros a year kind of charge which is nothing uh that's going to that would actually have a you know that would kind of flush things out until you get to the exemptions and then the exemptions are for sale significant refurbishment if it's in probate um or if it's owned by someone who's in long-term care or in hospital like um, and then it goes on again that, you know, the, in terms of a derelict, you know, residential kind of property. Um, this is a housing crisis. Um, if it's still derelict after kind of tw 12 months, it's it's just taken off your hands. That's what should happen. You know, kind of like, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And there's another thing that I um, saw there was around, it was actually in the South Downs uh, alternative budget again, was the windfall tax on rezoned land. Um, this is an interesting one because I know one of the SOCDEM councillors, I think it was Catherine, I can't remember her surname, um, was involved in, I don't know if people remember last year, the Gillick brothers on the Kulak site who had like essentially lobbied the council that like to rezone this piece of land in Kulak because they're two brothers, they're local, they just want to give back to the community and all of this like PR spin of like, you know, we want to, we want homes for normal people. That's actually a quote, like homes for normal people in our area. You know, that was them giving back, you know, they've made their money, they're coming back into the community. They really needed this, this land rezoned so that they could build the homes for, for these normal people. But sure then didn't they turn around and sold it for 10 times after it had been rezoned. So it was rezoned. Uh, you had Owen Murphy as housing minister at the time, uh, rise up the um the height restrictions so they're able to put more apartments on it more houses all of that squeezed in a few more houses as well just to to up on the planning and it uh, made the value of the land go up by 10 tenfold so they bought that piece of land for 2.5 million and they sold it off for 25 million for the yeah. good of the people of course for the good of the people so they the council got absolutely conned um so i assume that's left a sour taste in the mouth of the councillors that were involved there. I know um, the Sock Downs councillor, Catherine Stocker, I think it is, had spoken out about it at the time saying that it was a disgrace. So potentially that's why this is in here. So that windfall tax on rezoned land that, um, you know, that the profits that are made there um, would go back into. But this goes into the, I mean, this goes into the, into the way that can rezoned land works because the worst thing about it is that it's all government paper. It's a gift by the state. It's not a right. You've done nothing to the land. You haven't put sewers into it. It's been rezoned. So it's a legal title that is kind of bestowed by the state on land. And I fail to understand why the opposition parties don't treat it as such that if it could be given by the state, it could be taken away by the state. There's nothing in theory anyway to stop a housing minister saying that all rezoned land will lose its rezoned status in 12 months time unless it's used and then you have to reapply and when you reapply the the value of the rezoned land is capped at at kind of 
agricultural price plus kind twenty five percent, which was the the kind of Kenny report uh, finding. You know what I mean? Like you know, there are ways of doing this to actually take kind of speculation out of this. You know, it hasn't been taken out of it because they're very strong invested interests. But the opposition, you would hope, are are not in bed with these kind of vested interests. So I fail to understand why they why they don't why they're not kind of more bold on these kind of things because. We are in a crisis. Simply building kind of more kind of social housing, if it's been done by institutional kind of investors who are on record saying that they expect a five percent, a three to six percent kind of return on their investment if they build kind of social housing, um, that would be exempt from all these things here around REITs and taxes and all that. If they're building for kind of social housing, that would be kind of exempt for that. But they would still have it in terms of a profit margin. Uh, you know, of like three to kind of six percent based on the rents coming back to them, either through you know people paying that rent or then being kind of subsidized by the the estate as well. And this leads into the tax credit, the rental kind of tax credit, which now all parties, Sinn Fein started it off, but now they all have it. Um, Labour have have jumped on this now as well, as well as the uh, Sock Dems which is a horrendous uh, policy. Yeah, well, I think even in the, just on the, the windfall stuff, like, you know, whether it's a windfall tax on the zoned land or whether it's a windfall tax on energy or whatever it is that they're proposing as a, a cost measure, like, you're still allowing them to make those profits in the first This is place. it. Like, you know, so, like, like, you're just taking a slice of the pie off the top, but at the end of the day, they still have the pie. And the you worst thing about is that... Life. Like and, unless we're addressing the actual, you know, let's name it the means of production. Like we're we're just they're still making those profits. They shouldn't be allowed to do that in the first place. It still hurts the ordinary person. Um, and then you can say, oh, well, we got a win a win pro, windfall um tax off the top of it, and that that'll benefit people in the long run. But like, you know, we're still paying like above what we should be for for it, talking about specifically in the energy. Whereas like if we actually owned that energy if we oh if we we do own that land and kept it in state ownership uh those pieces of the land then we wouldn't have to be doing this windfall mm. profit shite in the first place this is it. like, we, should, like we, we don't should, we should, should be our our we should own the land and we should own energy what like don't why are we talking about windfall ta- uh profits and all of that taxing them just don't don't have them in the first place because like well like you know on the on the of land we don't even need to own that land like at the rezoned land, it's a legal fiction that is that is that is bestowed by the state onto kind of owners of that land. It's in the gift of the state to kind of hand it over. Why is it doing that? It has there is absolutely no reason whatsoever. And this goes back to the Ken report of the 1970s that fleshed out these entire arguments at a constitutional level, fleshed them out as to why no owner of land has a constitutional right. To benefit from rezoned land, none whatsoever. There's, they have no right for this kind of what's because they've done nothing to it. The land hasn't changed one bit. All that's changed is the legal title to it, which, which is a gift, you know, you know, there from the state. So, so absolutely right. Putting the tax on the rezoned land is, as you said, it's a, it's a, it's a barbarity because. Why? Why is there profits from rezoned land anyway? It shouldn't be. 
there should be no profits from from the agreed on land purely it's from the construction they're just like land should not be a commodity How exactly purely from the, energy like, shouldn't be a commodity like you know if there's any kind of profit that but be made it's not on the land it should be on the construction that then happens on that if you want to build an offices on it not from the rezoning the rezoning should not be should not like should not bestow any profiteering any profit whatsoever it should just say that we think building should happen here not that you should get then get a a, a premium for that right you know so no i mean like you know the, like again that's not there in these kind of opposition uh policies i don't it might be in the people before proper one i didn't see it but um i don't think it is even there you know their one is just it's batshit crazy anyway um like there is, is introduce a tax on land banks and on vacant homes so that's okay, again again this is again so this is people before profits calling themselves a kind of marxist kind of party putting forward what is a social democratic kind of a principle of just tax profit and then you redistribute those uh, those profits uh, via taxation that's a tony blair idea like fucking tony blair had that idea that's a bill clinton fucking idea <laughs> well, at this point i think we've slagged every party <laughs> yeah we should you know but like um, you know but but like um on the rent thing i just want to just go back to that because mm. If you go back to the Sinn Féin kind of policy, which I misread kind of last year, um, I, I thought it was a it was a tax on a rebate. It's not. It's a tax kind of credit, which means that regardless of whether you, you know, earn enough that year or not, you will still get this from revenue. It's it's just money that we sent back to you. And what Sinn Féin have done is that they have it as as a tax kind of credit equal to one month's rent, but they have quite rightly they would bring in a a rent freeze so it means then that that landlords can't up the rent income expectation of this but the reason why and the sock dems have now i think kind of taken on that policy as well they have and so have labor so they've brought in this kind of rent as kind of tax credit um but the problem i have with it is that the money is not going to the okay uh it's not going and it's not going like to the renter it's 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 public money that's been passed on to the landlord what they should do is claw that back with an eight percent tax on rental income then you would claw back that money but there's no kind of claw back happening for this is a simple kind of transfer of like public funds to kind of private landlords to then go well i don't care who pays me kind of this rent i just want x amount then for that how you pay for that subsidy should be through an eight percent a levy on all kind of rental income that would then pay for that kind of 12 month kind of scheme but they haven't done that you know so it's really kind of populist kind of thing of all stuff like we looked at kind of housing in some kind of way here now but i think it would be worthwhile kind of looking at workers rights minimum wage a living wage and maybe going back to those issues of domestic violence as well because all the parties were very very quick to jump on this story and jump on this uh when there was politics to be made on prime time out of it but it's not being backed up here and i think that they need to be called out on it you know because um 
I, I just think it's shocking, you know, like it's really cynical stuff to make all these kind of press statements and then not going to back it up, you know. Well, I think it would de- definitely be worth us having to de- delve into those other sections of the, bud- the alternative budgets and um, in another pod, which would be great um, to kind of continue this conversation and continue to analyse that. And obviously if there's um, anyone from any of the parties, because <laughs> I know last year when we did our alternative budget review, um, we had quite a few people pick up the phone to clarify a couple of things um, on, on the, the, the alternative budget. So it'd be interesting to hear from members of those particular parties if they have any kind of additional uh, updates on or any kind of context for, for some of those decisions that were made. Um, and we can obviously then include it in uh, future podcasts, of course. Um, but this has been The Week at Work. Um, and I want to say thank you very much to Connor um, and um, for, for having this conversation um, with me around the, the alternative budgets. Um, and next week, um, we are actually going to be doing a live podcast um, with UCC Students Union as part of their trade union week. Um, and we'll be looking at um, a case study around the Dunn Stores example. So we're going to winning better conditions at work, the Dunn Stores example. So if there are any of our members are in Cork this week, um, on Wednesday, six o'clock in the hub, we'll be um, recording a podcast there with uh, a Dunn's worker, um, if people would like to join us. Um, but until then, um, this has been The Week at Work, and do give us a share um, and uh, after you finish listening, and we'll be joining you again for next week.